Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to an HBO podcast from the HBO Late Night series, Real Time with Bill Maher. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Real Timers of the Week. All right, I know why you're happy tonight. America got rid of that not-so-fresh feeling. (laughs) That's right, Joe Biden. Joe Biden was sworn in as America's 46th president, I think we have now. And I would like to say, America, give yourselves a round of applause for pulling off a semi-peaceful transition of power. How about that? Semi-peaceful, people. And, boy, it's been three days now with the new president. He has not yet insulted anyone. No, did not have a meltdown on Twitter. Did not betray the nation that he works for. It's nice to have a president who's hinged. <laughs> hinged. We have hinged back. No, I can't get used to it. I'm still writing we're doomed on my checks. <laughs> because... So uh, I thought the inauguration, uh, did you watch that? I thought that came off quite well, uh, dignified, uh, enough pageantry, you know, to remind us that we are getting back to normal, some nice touches. Uh, Garth Brooks sang Amazing Grace, and uh, by the looks of him, he he rarely misses a chance to say grace. (laughs) He's... uh... (laughs) The theme I noticed of the inauguration was America United. Uh, at least I think that was. It was hard to read uh, the banner behind the razor wire. <laughs> but... And then uh, <laughs> the new president went in, got his first intelligence brief, which describes the state of the country. And he read the first paragraph and went, uh, see if the guy in the Viking helmet still wants it. <laughs> uh, so that all happened. And then earlier in the day, of course, the whiny little bitch left... Um, that's right. Bye, Propecia. (laughs) And, uh, to quote Melania, thank God, that's over with. (laughs) No, Melania was very comforting to Donald. He was in a bad mood, but she said, it's okay, dear. As you get older, it's it's harder to achieve insurrection. Melania, Melania looked happy there on, on uh, the day they left. She left Washington, D.C., wearing a somber black outfit. And then she arrived in Florida dressed like she was on her way to fuck Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> um, but, boy... <laughs> Donald Trump, boy, the last couple of months, left graciously, didn't he? 
Oh, yeah, you know Trump fans? I got to tell you Trump fans out there, I, among the liberals, I was pretty much the nicest one to you. I always said you can hate Trump, but you can't hate all the people who like him. But I got to say, your boy, total class. That's my, what must you people love the most, is class. From not being man enough to admit that he lost the election, to then telling the mob, I'm with you, and then runs back into the house, <laughs> to not attending the inauguration. Class all the way, this motherfucker. I'm so glad he did not. I'm so glad he did not attend the inauguration because, you know, he's the ex-husband you don't want to invite to the wedding because he'll stand up and yell, she's a whore. <laughs> just had to get that out of my system. But, but you know, his followers now, the Trump, you know, QAnon, <laughs> they don't know what to think now because they were told to follow the plan that Trump would prevail and win a second term and then go after the Satan-worshipping pedophiles. And that didn't happen. And, you know, it's not like the Internet to lie. <laughs> so if you guys believe that, I have some very bad news about horny MILFs right in your neighborhood. I, really bad news on that. Uh, and if you're one of these <laughs> QAnon people who are, you know, the scales have lifted now, and you're saying, boy, it's hard to believe I fell for all that, it's nice to know that finally there's something you found hard to believe. <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, I think people in America are just basically unhappy, and then they find political reasons why. I mean, Antifa, the other side of it, they were up at, yesterday, in, two days ago, in Portland... Smashed windows after Biden was inaugurated. Burnt a Biden flag. I, they don't like him either. I love Gen Z. They will binge watch 30 episodes of a TV show before it gets good, but they'll only give Biden one day. <laughs> I mean, they, they rioted when Trump was in office. Now they're rioting when Biden's there. I think some people just don't like windows. <laughs> All right. We've got a great show. We have Peter Hamby and... Camille Foster are here, but first up, he is the former FBI assistant director of counterintelligence and author of The FBI Way, Inside the Bureau's Code of Excellence, Frank Flagluzzi. Frank, how you doing? It's good to be here. It's great to see you. Uh, first of all, I know it's funny, but thanks for all your service. Thank we you. Really I, feel, I feel like I'm serving... Even now, educating people on the threat we're facing. Well, that's what I want to pick your brain about. Because, uh, you know, when we first started, it's been, you know, over two weeks now since the January 6th attack there on the Capitol. And at first it looked like a bunch of, you know, knuckleheads taking selfies. And it was some of that. Mm -hmm. But the more we find out about it, it was... There was some real pros in there. This was a coordinated attempt. I was using the term slow-moving coup before Trump took office. So it looks like some of these people were actual pros, knew what they were doing, coordinated effort. Is that the way you read it? Yeah, Bill, as the evidence continues to develop, we're seeing signs of tactical experience and knowledge, coordination, comms in place, people with the earpieces talking to each other. So while the vast majority were wandering around dumbfounded that they even got in, the guys up front, the guys breaching, the guys beating police officers, they were ready, they were planned, it was coordinated. And what, what were they hoping would happen? I guess, like, any, any coup, right, 
you, you have to have a situation, I mean, this is what the coup plotters are thinking, where people will rise up because you're overthrowing a, a regime of sorts, right? I mean, you'll think about the Hitler situation with von Stauffenberg. They started something like, we're going to light the flame and then people will rally around us, or Erdogan in Turkey well, a couple of years ago, right? You know, if it doesn't work, the coup plotters... So while, while we're saying it was coordinated, I'm well, not saying, I'm saying it was... Were they hoping that who would rise up? Were they hope they must have been hoping people right. would rise up with them? Right. The military, the police. This is part of the overall failure to understand that w they're living in this echo chamber where all these masses will come together <laughs> if they simply do this, right? It's a fingers crossed coup that everything we've hoped for is going to play out. Obviously, it did not, and now they don't know what to do, but that should concern law enforcement and the rest of us for the foreseeable future. But there, but there are people in the ranks of law enforcement who are sympathetic. We're finding that out. Not that it was a complete surprise. We know there's a kind of a super right-wing Christian cabal within the military. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that they thought those people were going to be the ones who would rise up and help them. Well, look, let, let's recall that we saw Trump, uh, cops for Trump rallies throughout the campaign. Cops, yes. Heavily well attended. We've seen cops right. with tactical gear and QAnon patches on their uniforms. So the notion that the police are a monolith and they all think one way, they're, they're as polarized or split as everyone else is, and they're more dangerous because they are tactically trained and they have power and authority, and Trump cultivated them. But it's one thing to have different politics within an organization. It's another thing to have a fifth columnist. I mean, it seems like if you're willing to do the kind of things that some of these people did on January 6th, that's a true fifth columnist. Would you not agree? They've betrayed the oath, the same oath that I took, the same oath that most law enforcement officers took. They betrayed, and they need to be ferreted out, and we need to rethink even how we recruit police officers and the degree of background investigation done. But, but Bill, all of this comes together for me as a former intel law enforcement guy to say it's time to address this for what it is. It's domestic terrorism, and we need, we need a law against domestic terrorism. Don't, I mean, when you say a law against... <clears throat> I don't know what's in this law. I feel like we have laws like that on the books already. Mm -hmm. um, and when you say laws against domestic terrorism, what I think of immediately is listening. What else could it be is listening in on people? I mean, Frank... I love the FBI, but they did have a tape recorder under Martin Luther King's bed. Yeah, we've got to be... This goes way back. All right, so we've like, got to be... What's the best way to stop bad guys? Right. Listen in on what the shit they're thinking and planning before they even know you're in on it, right? right? So it's, time, it's time to have this discussion seriously, though, because, yeah. look, if you rob a bank, you don't get arrested for trespass. You get arrested for robbing a bank. It's a serious crime, actually crime against the government, right? So what happened at the Capitol? Was it trespass? We're seeing people arrested for trespass. Theft of Nancy Pelosi's podium, which I'm sure is near and dear to her, but that charge doesn't reflect the gravity of what happened. What happened was an insurrection. What happened was domestic terrorism, right. and we can't charge it. Domestic, domestic terrorism is the only criminal category in the FBI where they can investigate you, but they can never charge you. There's no such crime. But, what do you, but I'm asking you, what is the law that we're going to pass that's going to change this and that's also going to respect the Fourth Amendment? So I advocate a law that looks just like international terrorism. So if you change the religion of those people at the Capitol building on January 6th and you make their mission violent jihad or establishing a caliphate, 
all of a sudden we have an international terrorism law right. and they go to prison for the rest of their lives. But the, that's the, the kind difference of law we is have. that we would be listening to those. The difference we'd be listening to those people overseas. We would be listening to them. Because, that's that's. I mean, we are allowed to listen to we, calls from no, Pakistan. No, let me let me catch not? let me catch you up. We listen to those people here. There's terrorists here. Right. So there's international terrorism law here. But doesn't it have to be connected to something overseas? It does. And okay, I, but what, but these would these people the, the the people who attacked the Capitol they would not be in that category. That's These are just within the, the, the shores of America. It's a little bit different. That's my point, is that it's time to read. So you're saying we should be able to listen on them, too? I'm saying that the FBI is saying... I'm not against that. I'm no, just I'm just saying, let's, let's talk it out. I'm saying when FBI agents rank and file write a letter to Congress, as they did last year, and said the domestic terrorism occurring under this administration right. is something we can't handle and don't have the investigative tools for, and... We need a domestic terrorism law. When the folks who are charged with protecting us say they can't do it, we should listen to them. A domestic terrorism law has been proposed frequently in the House and even the Senate, and it keeps getting knocked down. It gets knocked down because of civil, civil liberties concerns, but well, it's time now to call it what it is. Okay, but you would also allow, would you not, that as bad as the Proud Boys and Boogaloo Boys and whoever these crazy people are, they're not trying to acquire nuclear weapons like the jihadis are, right? That is one big difference. I, I hope you're right about that. But let's start, oh, come on. You let's think start they're, with... They're going to uh, blow up their own... Let, let's talk about arrests that have been made over the last 10 years with people building radioactive bombs, right? Biochemical warfare, anthrax, uh, ricin. They're trying. So here, here's the thing. This keeps... This kind hmm. of civil liberties thing is valid, but also stops us from having the law. So let's take baby steps and say, all right, we're not going to get into... The, the tools and the spying on American citizens. But by God, when they do it and we catch them, let's charge them with something that sends them away for 20 years to life because they are terrorists. Uh, let, let me ask you... Well, they certainly are. But let me ask you what you think is <clears throat> behind that. I mean, obviously we have this, this vast array of, of seething men. It's always men, well, mostly men, usually white men, okay? Um... At, uh, proud boys, like I mentioned. Uh, uh, by the way, have you ever found out what they're proud of? As the, as the agency gotten it. Um, but it, to me, it's, 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 it's probably more what's going on in their personal life. And then they attach politics to it. I think it's the same thing with Islamic terrorism. I think if, if you're happy and you're getting laid, you're not blowing shit up. You so, know, I mean... I, but this is my, this is my point. It, Okay. So, yeah, th this is my point. What we've seen over the last four years looks a lot to me like the kind of radicalization process we see when people move toward yes. violent jihad. And yes, it is something in their life that causes them to look for a cause greater than themselves, a, a feeling of disenfranchisement. And yes, I think you're making my point. These are radicalized right. people who need to be treated like domestic terrorists. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with it. Just quizzing you. Did I pass? <laughs> yes, did I pass? So let me ask you the last thing. I mean, the January 6th thing really wasn't the FBI's beat. But, I mean, when I think of the FBI, I think, well, that's the last line of defense here. Should they have done more? I mean, I, hear, I, I think of that term, failure of imagination, that we had after 9-11. I feel like they failed to imagine that people who were pro-Trump would also be so pro against authority. You know, it seems counterintuitive, mm -hmm. but it's not. Yeah. So here's what I've been calling the insurrection. 
It's not a failure of intelligence so much as it was an, a failure to act on available intelligence. You and I could have sit at home in our, on our recliner and watched in social media this thing play out for about two weeks before the insurrection. So they had it. They did pass it throughout the Capitol region to the Capitol Police. FBI offices like Norfolk, Virginia said to headquarters, you're, you're going to have a problem here. The problem is twofold. One, FBI doesn't protect buildings. But two, I'm not buying this, hey, we told the Capitol Police, not our problem. That's not how this works. And you're right. I think, again, if we changed religion and or color of all these people planning this, we might have seen a more aggressive response. That's a problem. All right. Thank you, Frank. You look like you're too young to be on TV. You should be back in the FBI building. But let's meet our panel. <laughs> okay. There they are. He is the host of Snapchat's political show, Good Luck America, and contributing writer for Vanity Fair, Peter Hamby. And he's the co-host of the Fifth Column podcast, Camille Foster is over here. Great to see you both. Okay, so, guys, I, I, I don't know if you watched the first press briefing uh, the day Biden was inaugurated. I, I don't even have the names yet. Jan? Jan Psaki. She's good. The bar's low. <laughs> oh, She's uh, right off the bat. Just right now. I, I know Jen. I've Gives her a, a shot time. right off the bat. I mean, Jen is great, but the yeah, bar is low. The bar is, of course it is. But, I mean, it was just so good to see, you know, I, first of all, it, I feel like talking to just my friends, everybody has sort of this dreamlike quality to the experience. Like, did that really happen? Mm. It's like, I don't know if you remember the TV show Dallas. You're too young for sure. <laughs> but, like, they had a whole episode where it was a dream. Like, People didn't like the whole... I mean, the whole season was a dream. And the next season started, and the guys in the shower is like, I dreamed that season. That's how I felt like this. It was... Yeah. It was shockingly normal. And, and I think it was helped by the fact that whatever you think about the idea of a tech platform kicking a political leader off of the platform, it was helped by the fact that Trump wasn't able to tweet during the inauguration, sure. during the first few days. Sure. Like, it does, it does feel like the whole Trump administration has just sort of disappeared so, and we live through a fever dream. Well, here's the key question, though. How, how much power does he retain, Donald Trump? Because that'll tell a lot. I mean, is it, is it the end of training day where Denzel Washington is like, <laughs> I'm King Kong up here, and they're like, no, you're not anymore. No, you are not. You are, you, your power is gone. And the Russians killed or, him the bridge. Or, <laughs> it remains to be seen. I mean, I think there's already some indication that some of Trump's base of support seems to be eroding. His brand is, I win. I go out and I win. Right. He very much lost. And there may be a narrative out there about him having won, but a lot of folks are not buying that anymore even if it takes a little bit of time for the polling to catch up with that. You know, Nixon leaves office, Republicans are still a little high on him, maybe a little less reluctant to acknowledge the awfulness thereof. Eventually, that But, but you up. know, he's, they say he's starting this Patriot Party. That's the name of it. That, first of all, that sounds like Nazis to me. And not like they're killing all the Jews, Nazis, but like fascism come to America, Patriot Party. Whenever you are that blatant about... We're the patriots. We're the good people. Would you prefer Trump organization as the name of this, this new entity? <laughs> I, I, I actually would. Yeah. Patriot he, he Party would is too. very brown shirty. And I, I do worry that, you know, all those people who just believe might is right, who, you know, we're at least two generations past where they taught anything in school. So it's not like people know that they're violating the Constitution because they have no clue what's in it to begin with. So they don't know they're fascists, but they are. 
and I feel like they're all going to be in the Patriot Party. Well, and it's going to be a dangerous talk about fifth columnists. I think it. I saw some people on Twitter sort of snickering about the idea of Trump creating a Patriot Party, um, in part because Trump doesn't necessarily have the work ethic and attention span to do such a thing. But Trump University, Trump Stakes, <laughs> right? Patriot just Party moves on. However, but he has people if, around him. He wasn't. He didn't have that. No, as I'm pre- not. Yeah. I, I take it somewhat seriously. Actually, you saw all of these people in the conservative universe from Lou Dobbs to Charlie Kirk say this is a good idea. If if anyone can get ballot access, raise small donor money, uh, have support in every single state uh, outside of a political party, it's Donald Trump. The problem is, you know, it would just deprive him, I think, in a different way of power. I mean, the way for Trumpism to reach success is to do the hostile takeover of the Republican Party, to win Republican primaries and then win elections. I mean, the Patriot Party would hold down Republican votes as a third party in a general election. It would just allow Democrats to win because it would just siphon those voters out of the Republican Party. Another avenue is to take advantage of one of the other third parties that already exist, not the Libertarian Party that is near and dear to my heart, Mm -hmm. but perhaps the Reform Party or something like that. But in, in, in either case, I am far more skeptical of this proposition. I think it actually takes a great deal of organization. And if there's anything we know about Donald Trump, he's not terribly well organized. And in terms this of spending money, the, but I must he would have tell to you, spend money on other candidates. I must tell you, gentlemen, this does sound like the same shit I heard before he became president. <laughs> yeah. Donald Trump's just a buffoon. He's not serious about president. He'll never do this. He'll never do that. And then he did it all. And here we are Ballot again. access is a little bit different than having rain, name yeah, recognition I, I and cash having had a television show. This is very different. I, I will say one thing, though. though the, the notion of sort of referring to these people as fascists, broadly, or even Donald Trump as a fascist, I often worry about giving the man too much credit, and I worry about using words that are highly charged that may not, in fact, illuminate well, the conversation in the way that we really accept want. Except that there, yeah, I, I agree with that in, th- in theory, but, you know, there's a lot of definitions of fascism. We, I've heard many over the years from, from learned people disagree. But I think the one thing we can all line up behind it is this idea of might makes right and that we don't respect democratic norms. If you can't call what the people who wanted to undo the election, that even the Republican judges and politicians said was fairly called, I I don't know what fascism is. Then what definition do we have for it? I I mean, that, that is fascism when it's just like... I mean, because they're not... A lot of these people, even the Republicans in Congress, they're not sorry about what happened on January 6th. They're just sorry it didn't work. Well, they're sorry it happened to them. They came into their offices. They felt personally threatened. Yeah, I'm pretty... Right? That's one reason McConnell is so angry about this, is because, like, that's his house. I'm pretty skeptical of that assertion, that they're not... that they don't regret that this happened. Look, I just want to try to put it into another context. Imagine one possibility here, that what we've seen over the course of the last, say, 10, 12 months is actually a bit of an unraveling. This escalation in political violence that is not limited to the right, but that has existed on the left as well. We saw $2 billion worth of damage done over the course of several months. We saw days of civil unrest in the street. We saw federal buildings surrounded, held under siege for days at a time. You're talking about... This is the United States of America, and we have seen a steady increase in the regularity and frequency of political violence in this country. And if there is a broader trend, as opposed to a specific movement that is broken, then we're talking about too narrow a problem as opposed to the right problem, which might be but there's, a, a really major defect in our But there's politics. always been... Well, I, mean, that... 
Scott. I, going back to the Seattle WTO protests in 2000, I mean, there's always been like a anarchist black bloc gutter this punk is, element on the left, which is this was across sure. the country. But but this Trumpism, Trumpism is has infected every state capital. It is it is we were, everywhere. We were promised armed rebellion at every state capital. That did not materialize, which is why I'm saying. I worry right. that we may be miscasting this. Right. If we're thinking it's Trump, Trump is the problem, and as you mentioned already earlier in the show, Bill, we saw hundreds of people in the streets breaking windows after Biden won. Something is wrong, and I'm, right. I worry that we're not talking okay. about this in the so right way. So that's path. a great question to get to. Now that we've gotten rid of Trump, we're faced with, with this problem as Americans. Now we can't blame everything on him. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to look in the mirror... And we'll see. We'll find out in the next 100 days. Like, if it was all Trump who was the bad guy, and I've said from the beginning, with the virus, he certainly played his part horribly, horribly, beginning with getting that little team out of China that could have stopped the whole fucking thing to begin with. But it's also, I think, on the American medical establishment that never told the American people the best way you can handle this is get yourself in better shape, Get your immune system better. Stop eating shit food and sugar and day drinking. They never had the guts to do that. They wouldn't even say the word obesity on television. That would be fat shaming. The code in our is preconditioned. Yeah. Um, okay, so can America do this? Can America... Competence is always what I come back to. I, I see it on a <laughs> personal level in my life. We all do as we go out in our day, when we used to go out in our day. And we used to have days to go out in. <laughs> and I see it on a national level. Can we do shit anymore? We can't seem to get the vaccine rollout going. That's not a great harbinger of what's to come. Can we, even if we can't blame it on Trump, be, you know... I, I don't... I mean, here in the great Socialist Republic of California, <laughs> it's insanely uh, hard to get Don't get vaccine. me started. You know where I'm at. I, I mean, Same. Yeah. Here, here's yeah. a good example. My my parents are in their early 70s. My mom got vaccinated today at a distribution center in Richmond, Virginia. My dad's getting vaccinated at a Kroger. Like, our healthcare system is so bunk that we're going to CVSs and Walgreens. And, you know, I think it is a little too glib of the left to say that, you know, nationalized healthcare in this country would have made our COVID response that much better, but mm-hmm. certainly on the distribution front, <laughs> I mean, it would have been way better. I you know, the NHS is so telling sure. people in their communities in the UK, like, you're ready, come on in, we'll give you, we'll stick your arm. Yeah. Like here, half the country doesn't even know how to get a vaccine, literally, like according to surveys. Yeah. Um, I don't know when my turn time comes where I'm going to get a vaccine. No, we, we seem the to, with, there's one thing we seem to be really good at, and it's bipartisan. That is that we are able to print money we don't have and <laughs> hand it out to the needy and unneedy alike. That seems to be what we're really good at, printing new money and giving it away. Yeah. That's what, that's what we're going to do. Are you Paul Ryan now? <laughs> Paul Ryan. Wait, is that wrong? It, I think it's worth being concerned about a circumstance where we've created effectively around $5 trillion or committed to doing that over the course of, like, 11 months. Mm-hmm. It's a $20 trillion economy. That is a big deal. And the question of whether or not we're doing that in a way that gets aid right. and help I, to I, people I, who really I mean, need it 
is a big deal. And to answer your question, no, I'm not Paul Ryan, but if I agreed with him on something, it wouldn't make me a horrible person. What yeah, is, okay. no, no, not but, at all. Although but Republicans it's, it's that argument, that like, oh, you sound like someone on the red <laughs> team, you must be wrong. Right. Uh, no, I'm just saying, we just say, I would rather see the money targeted more. I don't feel like we're great at targeting it. Yeah. The only thing we can do precisely is bomb. You know, when we want to bomb something, we, that's the one thing we can, like, we, we really... Other thing else is just, like, we spray it. We just spray it around. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I... I mean, I talked to some Republican leadership aides in the Senate yesterday about the, about the bill, mm. Biden's proposal, $1.9 trillion of spending. Remember the stimulus in 2009 when Obama came in was... Oh, yeah. Eight hundred billion, and so they were, and they went batshit at that number. That's totally, when, that's when we got the fabulous euphemism "jobs created or saved," which is fake. Correct, correct. <laughs> and Biden presided over the Recovery Act in two thousand nine, and he has lots of big ideas about how to become an FDR-style president. However, the Republican viewpoint on this in the Senate is is kind of what you guys are saying, which is like checks. Like a lot of Republicans came out at the end of the Trump administration for that two thousand dollar check. Like mm-hmm. checks could work. Um, you know, vaccine money for vaccine creation and distribution, that could work. But they're really balking at the idea that we have already allotted $4 trillion worth of spending over the last year. We're going to give more money to states and cities. They're not sure about that. And they also think that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi are just going to lard up this bill with whatever they want to, well, according I mean, to their caucuses. Well, I mean, Tom Brady got money the last time. Yeah. And Joel Olstein. And, you know, I mean, look, some of it, you can never transfer money except with a leaky bucket, as someone once said. I get some of that. But it just seems like we don't do anything with great care. And, yeah. and, and it just, well, why not? It's, you know, we're just right. making the money in the, in the well, mint think, anyway. Yeah, and I think, I think the Biden people even say this privately, that this is a starting point. There's going to be a negotiation. And... Okay. I think it's in Biden's heart that he wants to peel off some Republican senators and show I'm a bipartisan president, that we can achieve some kind of unity. Writing checks is easy. The really hard stuff, the important stuff, the single most important thing they could do is reopen schools. And focusing like a laser on how to help states do that would do in an But there's money for that in the the proposal. all families. There's money for that in the proposal. But it's going to take a lot more than money. And and unfortunately, I just think there's a lot of grandstanding taking place. And I think you're absolutely right, Bill. The profound failure of this entire government, the bureaucracy, Democrats and Republicans alike, to actually rise to the occasion and meet this challenge of COVID, they failed profoundly. And the question of what we do from here, I think, is the most important question that we ought to be pondering, and we don't have Trump to kick around. Just it. to punctuate this, I think one of the dumbest things of COVID is, going back to what you were saying earlier, that we think that a lot of people on the left think that just because Democrats are doing something or saying something, it's automatically correct, and if Republicans do, it's automatically stupid. Right. Mayor Garcetti here in Los Angeles, Governor Newsom, like, Cuomo. why is why is the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, a, like, saint of... COVID, like, his response to it and doing a book <laughs> right. tour before the right. pandemic's even over right. and he, is and he, ridiculous. Right. But because he is not And he Trump, put people back in the nursing homes. Yeah. Exactly. He did the wrong thing. He did the wrong thing. The idiot in Florida did it better And he let his political home. disagreements with the mayor of New York City get in the way of swift and good decision-making. Right. And he's just held up as a paragon of good governance just because well, he's a Democrat. Okay. And I think but it's still great to have a new president, and, and not just because the last one was the worst person in the world, for comedy, because we need new comedy. So I was watching the inauguration, and I, I must tell you, like, I thought to myself, let's just start right here. And I was looking at Joe Biden, and, you know, it looked like his mind was drifting at times, and I thought, 
I think I can read this man's mind. Would you like to hear what I was... Yeah, okay, so here are some of the... Oh, sure. Oh, sure, now. Oh, now. All right, here are some of the things that were going through Joe's mind. J-Lo, I thought you said we were having Jell-O. <laughs> Not bad for a kid from ancient Rome. <laughs> Uh-oh, I hope that was just gas. <laughs> I see Lady Gaga, but where's Lord Gaga? I am so getting laid tonight. (laughs) And who's sleeping now, fuckface? (laughs) All right, so... Let's get back on the uh, discussion of the economy. I mean, you have been critical of Black Lives Matter relations with... uh, well, communism and uh, anti-capitalism. Sure. Uh, there's a new uh, African-American congressman who said capitalism is, capitalism is the new slavery. Um, yeah. You've said, uh, talking about Black Lives Matter and anti-racism, you said they're part of a broader program that is hostile towards free markets and mm-hmm. capitalism, hostile towards notions of individualism and the scientific method. G- give me some examples of what you're talking about. Well, well the, the, the important thing to consider here is that when folks talk about Black Lives Matter, it's often said that, look, this is just a, an ethical statement. If you can't acknowledge this, that that's a real problem, Black Lives Matter is a political statement, and there is a political program attached to it, and plenty of people, you know, sort of broadly may not be aware of it, but the fact that there, it does have some roots in Marxism, that there are radical elements of the Black Lives Matter movement that are very disinclined towards free markets and capitalism that challenge very basic notions um, that I think are broadly shared by Americans about, like, equality under the law, for example. This pivot towards equity, racial equity, and a focus disproportionately on outcomes is something that is rather new, but seems to have taken the country by storm. It's, and, it's yeah, almost the only thing people can talk about. Equity meaning as opposed to equality. Equity as opposed to equality. Which, can you... I can give you a practical example of that. Yes. COVID, we were just talking about a moment ago. We know that the most vulnerable population when it comes to COVID are older people. That if I took people over the age of 55... Sure. That's 80% of the deaths. There have been actual conversations about prioritizing people on the basis of their race because COVID is said to disproportionately impact black people relative to white people. It is a ridiculous proposition, but it's a proposition that's found its way into the mouths of governors here in California, the the pages of the New York Times. We're actively talking about this kind of ridiculous, because we actually know, when we look at the global impact of COVID in the United States, again, 80% of the people who are dying are older, around 18% of the people who are dying are black. A life lost to COVID is a life that matters. And we can well, focus on the people who are vulnerable without making this about race. Making it about race only obscures the actual issue. If and you, it's separate, to help, if be you separate race from economic insecurity, sure, right? Like, like Hispanics are hospitalized at three, four times the rate as, of white people for a variety of reasons. For a variety of They're essential workers. Right. They're riding the bus from Boyle like, Heights like here, to Beverly Hills. But the important point is that it's not fundamentally about race. You can't un-Hispanic them. There may be different issues in their communities. It could be that they live in, well, in homes with more people. It could be that they live in more urban centers. If that's the case, the policy you're tailoring is for people in urban centers, not Latinos. This is a confusion of categories that is actually distracting us from forging good policy. What you get is great sound bites. You right. don't actually fix problems. It always... It, it, it makes people... 
There's this... <laughs> something happened with white people, white liberals, a certain savior with them, and, like, reveling in guilt mm -hmm. that I don't understand. So, like, you're saying... <laughs> I, I understand now, this is a good issue that you, you chose to use as an example, because, yes, you're right. There are... Uh, I think if you look at the stats, it does disproportionately affect the African-American community, but... To, to make the white people feel better about their guilt, you only hear about it because of, yes, racism. That is a part of it. Another part of it is obesity. Not that there aren't plenty of fat white people. Another part of it is vitamin D. Vitamin D is very important. My pasty white skin absorbs it easily. Yours does not. That could That's be part, just but, science. But, isn't this also but, about but it doesn't, fit the, it doesn't yeah. fit the paradigm yeah. of this is a racist plot. And geography is a huge part of it. People yeah. live in yeah. different parts of Sometimes the country. Sometimes because right. they are poor. Looked, if we actually look at, at the data points from, with the respect of where do black people live? Do they live in urban areas? You're going to see that black people, relative to where they live and relative to COVID impact, may not be so disproportionate. We see that all the time. Let it be stipulated. College-educated white people on the Internet professing their white guilt and displaying their virtue mm -hmm. are some of the worst people in politics <laughs> and are ruining politics. However, however, this is about shared sacrifice, I think. It, it, hear me out on this. I am white guy who has income and access to health care. I am also a white guy who really wants to fucking go to a bar, to go to concerts, to go to restaurants. Mm -hmm. And if we vaccinate people who don't have access to health care, first, maybe that brings hospitalization rates down. Yeah. Maybe then we can go back to yeah. fucking indoor dining. Like, maybe right. I'm being selfish here, but, right. like, no. I don't, all I don't, of these I don't things are actually. I don't actually see how that could possibly be more effective than targeting the people who are the most vulnerable with the vaccines. Because we already know that we can find ways to live with the virus. We have been doing it but black in, and in increasingly are successful ways. To, to, to the They're the not more vulnerable because so, of their blackness or Latino. Let, let me bring up... Let me give another example. Last uh, week we were talking about how I was saying the media really... It's a different kind of media than it was even 10 years ago. Every story has to be interpreted by how is my demographic that watches me yeah. going to like this. Mm -hmm. So after the election, we found out Trump did better with minorities mm -hmm. than he did the last time, or other Republican presidents. I mean, you would never hear them talk about this on MSNBC. If, frankly, they, I... would not bring, they would not have you on. <laughs> well... Because, what? <laughs> no, you're probably right. Because, <laughs> because it's a different point of view that gets in the bubble that makes someone turn the dial to another channel, I guess. But w w what is your view on that? Why, why did Trump do... Well, I think, I think that some of the reporting after Wait, the election, I'm asking him. <laughs> yeah, don't white explain. Jesus I'm kidding. Christ. I'm kidding. What a, what a, that's a joke. <laughs> what a bad moment for the white guy to interrupt. Oh, let me handle I'm this. I'm sorry, one, that was a joke. Um, calm down. <laughs> calm down over there. Um, no, look, I, I, I don't think it's unrelated to what I was hinting at before. 
I think there is a general dissatisfaction among the populace. I think for the most part, people aren't voting in favor of things or in favor of candidates. They're voting against things. People have not been waiting around for for the 50-odd years that Joe Biden has been in the public life saying, you know who we need as president more than anybody in the world? Sleepy Joe Biden. That's the guy we need. Joe Biden arrived at just the right time and Mr. Magood his way into the White House. (laughs) One of the most unpopular humans on Earth. Right. See, this is what I've always said. Forgive me if I'm repeating this, if people have heard it before, but to me, the ultimate white privilege is what... You know what I'm going to say? No. (laughs) (laughs) Is is being able to be impractical. Black people have to be practical. (laughs) Right? They don't have the luxury. I don't know. Sometimes I could be impractical. Right. But I'm saying in general. (laughs) And politically, you see that all the time. They were very practical about Joe Biden. You're right. It wasn't who they loved. It was who was possible. Yeah, and And they got lucky there, too. Got lucky. Dodged a bit of a bullet. The the numbers were huge for everybody. But Across it, the board. On the flip side of is, that, I mean, some of the some of the reasons that Trump did well among Hispanics, and this was reported throughout the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, right, where Trump outran Biden by mm. a significant margin compared to the last election. They like the checks. They like the checks signed by Donald Trump that came through after the last COVID bill, right? Like, Trump, if he had understood better the transactional nature of politics and governing, might have won if he had really focused on that. I think it, that, that's the practicality. People are like, I don't know what government does for me, but if I'm getting a check from this guy, yeah. shit, I'm going to vote for him. Like, that's powerful, and I think that helped him. His numbers on the economy throughout the campaign were pretty good compared to the rest of his poll numbers, which are in the shitter. So uh, am I wrong to not want to see race all the time? Because nope. that's how I was brought up. Uh, like, that's what a good liberal does, is yeah. you don't see race. And now they switched it all around... And I'm bad because I don't see it all the time. And is, is ubiquity even effective to, to make people aware of this issue at every turn? You know, one of, one of the first things the Biden administration did is got rid of these prohibitions that the Trump administration had put on this diversity and inclusion training. And one thing that we know, and it's unfortunate when I have to agree with Donald Trump because it's very unpopular to do in many circles... But one thing we have to acknowledge is that this diversity and inclusion training can often increase people's racial sensitivity, that it can often make workplaces less harmonious, that talking often about racism and discrimination can make people presume that it exists in places where it does not. And we have to acknowledge that racism is a subjective allegation, right? I can presume intent on your behalf whether or not it is actually there. And that's a, a major defect. And, well, and, and course, I don't want to be the object of your special concern, but right. anyone else's. This is what I'm I Camille, hear. I'm Camille, I'm an this, individual, and that this is, is what what's I hear important. Pri- See, this is the thing. I, like, I'm so sympathetic to the cause, but don't gaslight me. You know, and this is what I hear privately from my black friends. I don't want to be the focal point. I just want to blend in. I want to have a beer like you. Don't, don't look at me like I have to like, make a speech about it or that you have to make a speech about it. So, let me ask you this question. Is the picture of America that's presented by the radicals, I would say, Black Lives Matter, some of them, the anti-racist, of America 2021, is it an accurate picture? Because sometimes I'm, I'm like, are they talking about 2021? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think that there are a lot of issues, unfortunately. Um, we could talk about criminal justice reform, for example, where... We traffic in a great deal of hyperbole um, where people who, quite frankly, just do not have a serious grounding in these issues are out in the streets and 
screaming about them. They're, they've got the bullhorns in their hands, and they don't know the numbers. I'm always surprised when I see sort of the outrage in Portland over these issues. When I actually go back and look at the number of police-involved shootings or deaths in custody, for example, and the numbers simply do not bear out this genocide against black America. It's not a thing. What we do know is we need criminal justice reform, but it's because there are genuine impacts across the board in many instances and a lack of accountability and transparency. And those smart policies don't require us to think in terms of race right. exclusively. I feel like all the energy goes toward this emotional part instead of, like, of course there is systemic racism in America. That's, I mean, when you look at the stats of, you know, just like black wealth versus white wealth or, you know, health care you're talking about, uh, how long people live. I mean, there's a million things you can look at, and you see, obviously, this is because we had this sorry history that has continued to the present. But when, when I, I look at the, the present, um, I'm very often asking the question, like, are we, are we not addressing what should be the drug war? Get rid of the drug war, mm-hmm. and wouldn't you get rid of a lot of the black deaths? Because it's, I mean, who dies in Chicago? Is it mostly blacks at the hands of the police? Sure. Well, that's no, the urban. It's, it's, yeah. it's gangs fighting each other over drug turf. Yeah, that's the right? urban crime there. Sure. Contraception, retraining the cops. Yeah, I feel like the practical programs get lost because but, that, as you say, doesn't get the headlines. I think I think Biden deserves more credit on this stuff. And the New York Times reported this week that in meetings when staffers, particularly younger staffers, who sort of traffic in a lot of the stuff we're talking about, mm-hmm. the kind of academic language, when they use academic or elitist language to see on Twitter, Biden stops them and says, pick up the phone and call your grandma. Would she understand what you were talking about? Mm-hmm. If not, I don't want to hear it again. He, he, you know, and, and I think his North Star has always been that normie, not online voter, you know, a black person over 50, a white person in the suburbs who isn't following this stuff. And he is, I think, reasonably careful about the racial language that, you know, we see and get mad about on the Internet quite frequently. Partly because he's not on the Internet. (laughs) Yeah, but we'll have to see where it goes. I mean, we've, we've seen in recent days folks who are part of Team Biden say things along the lines of, you know, race and social justice are going to be in every aspect of policy that we do. Every economic policy, this is going to be our lodestone. And one, that sounds like a bit of a constitutional issue, which we may have to adjudicate, and I suspect will. Um, but two, it just does not sound effective to me. If you want to focus on problem, really complicated problems, nuanced problems like right. education, like health care, those problems are not things that we get a clearer picture of, that we see better when we inject race into the conversation, race is divisive, it divides us, it obscures the truth, and it generally ruins... Well, it does matter in those conversations often. But you're, you're saying don't make... I mean, isn't that what critical race well, theory is Well, it's performative, so it matters in that way. Some people want you... what They want to hear you say it. And systemic right. racism is a, is a phrase that I find really frustrating because I think it categorizes things, but it doesn't... But really explained them. It doesn't BLM actually get... give us a sense of how to fix them in any material right. sense. There are all sorts of disparities, and right. they exist for all sorts of complicated reasons, and we ignore that when we just say and racism, all sorts racism, of ways racism. you can be disadvantaged in life. Sure. You know, I mean... And, and advantaged. I, I am yeah, privileged. And... Anyone who looks at me and presumes on account of my appearance that I'm disadvantaged is a fool. But if you're well, born... I mean, look at this face. But if you're born in the... I mean, yes, I mean, they're up... Right, but if you're born in the Mississippi Delta and you're living on a poor farm or a shack, like, you're there 
and you're poor because you're black and because there's a history or you could be of raging racism. You could be white in those circumstances. Poverty sucks Have you regardless, been Delta? Of, your, regardless <laughs> of your race. One I, out of ten people there are white and I've they're living met, on plantations and, there and you go to Ole Miss. there are plenty of places like Appalachia where you'll find concentrations of deep systemic po- poverty and all of the people are white. I don't care what they look like. I want solutions that work. And quite frankly, talking about racism all the time is not a solution for anything. What would you know about it, Peter? (laughs) Let me explain something to you, sir. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the discussion, but now it's time for New Rules. New Rule, the next time a mob attacks Congress, don't hide in the cloakroom. That's the first place they'll look. Also, who wears a cloak anymore? A cloak. If you don't want to think QAnon to think you're in a sex cult, remember, the only people who wear cloaks are Dracula, hobbits, party magicians, theater critics, Iron Curtain trophy wives, bicurious Batman, and late period Elvis. It's okay. Don't knock yourself out. New rule now that the Trump era is over, let's all agree to never mention it again. So- Sometimes something seems like a good idea at the time, but then later you just want to forget. You, you tried it, it was stupid, move on. Like oral sex in the pool, or sandwich wraps, or that year you wore a fedora. Neural Republicans who tweet quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. on his birthday must admit if King were alive today, you'd call him a socialist and darken his skin in campaign ads. You have a dream, and it's making harder for minorities to vote. My own staff, I can't get. It's amazing. It's just amazing. I think... think I think you got to hold the paycheck till after the taping. I think that's, that's going to be the key. Neural news anchors have to get through... News anchors have to get through one entire newscast without saying the words, grim milestone. You're only depressing an already depressed population. Besides, it's not fair to actual milestones, which are, after all, just rocks. Hi, I'm Bill Maher for Rocks. You've been hearing a lot of bad things about milestones lately. Infection rates, rising global temperatures, the national debt, but rocks are so much more. We decorate fish tanks, hold down papers, and fill Steve Ducey's head. Rocks. Life would be hard without us. New rule, the woman who bought that candle that Gwyneth Paltrow sells, you know, that one that smells like her vagina, and then brought it home and claims it exploded, has to tell us one thing. Are you bitching or bragging? (laughs) Also, what happened with the Jimmy Dean's pure pork sausage? And, And finally, new rule, New Year's call for new departments here on Real Time, and we have something very special for you tonight. As our loyal fans know, after every election season, we prepare a memorial package called Farewell Douchebags. So we can... 
So we can bid adieu, a proper adieu, to the conservative nut jobs who just got drummed out of office. Here's a little bit of our last installment from two months ago. Always a fan favorite. I've been doing it for all these years. Problem is, Republicans restock douchebags with the efficiency of an Amazon warehouse. They churn out new crazy like the Hallmark Channel makes Christmas movies. So I thought it might be prudent moving forward if we took a moment at the beginning of the year to get to know the up-and-comers, the douchebags to keep an eye on. The... The new, fresh-faced, hate-for-profit, truth-bending opportunist that you'll be cursing out for years to come. So sit back and enjoy our premiere edition of Hello, Douchebags! Hello! Hello, Douchebags! For example, there's a new opportunistic infection in the Senate named Josh Hawley. Oh, he's an up-and-comer. Washington Insider says he's among 2021's most punchable faces. Handsome, youthful, and vigorous, he's the far right's JFK, with a little dash of KKK. <laughs> and as the son of a wealthy banker and a graduate of Stanford, Yale, and a private prep school, Josh knows what he hates most in this world. Elites. <laughs> Loathsome and transparently ambitious, Josh was the first senator to formally choose Trump's baseless election fraud conspiracy over his pledge to uphold the Constitution. But before you say he's anti-democratic, Josh wants you to know that he's just asking questions. <laughs> questions like, why does the winner of an election always have to be the guy who gets the most votes? <laughs> Not to be outdone in the area of hating government from the inside, freshman Colorado rep and high school dropout Lauren Boebert <laughs> is someone you may have already thought of if you ever thought, what would happen if Michelle Bachman smoked bath salts? <laughs> this sassy gal is taking her hoops out to fight the libtards, and she... <laughs> And she wants everyone to know she has exactly one issue. Guns. Spoiler alert, she likes them. <laughs> she hails from a town named Rifle and owns a restaurant called Shooters, <laughs> where the waitstaff, no kidding, are encouraged to carry loaded weapons on the job. My suggestion, if you eat there, make sure you tip at least 20%. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I ate there once. I asked the waiter, how fresh is the fish? He said, I don't know, do you feel lucky, punk? <laughs> Alabama's newest senator is Tommy Tuberville. How to describe Tommy? He's like if a hot mic slur got voted into office. <laughs> Tommy... <laughs> Love this guy. Tommy's the former coach of the Auburn Tigers football team, and intellectually, let's just say he's a few yards short of a first down. <laughs> he refused to debate before his primary and general elections, and it's a good thing, because he could lose a game of tic-tac-toe to a St. Bernard. 
Tommy's the model of today's constitutional conservative who has absolutely no idea what's in the Constitution. He got wrong the answer to the question, what are the three branches of our government? Strippers can get this one. I know, I've asked. <laughs> Financially, Tommy's been involved with at least three business associates who've been convicted for financial fraud. Said Tommy, I'm not smart enough to understand all the numbers. Did I mention he wants to be on the Senate Banking Committee? <laughs> and seen. <laughs> now... <laughs> Now, if fresh-faced is your thing, get ready to swipe right (laughs) on rising hate-monger Madison Cawthorn from North Carolina, one of the leaders of the Stop the Steal fiasco who hyped the riot at the Capitol like it was the fire festival. (laughs) And who, at the tender age of 25, is the youngest Republican ever elected to the House. I've thrown up scotch older than this prick. You know every Chad douchebag you see on a jet ski on Instagram? Yeah, he's a congressman now. And this one brags that he carries a gun on the House floor, but not irresponsibly. It's safely secured in his Paw Patrol lunchbox. (laughs) And finally, but certainly not least, we have the freshman congresswoman from Georgia, the true mayor of Crazy Town, and everyone's favorite Karen, Marjorie... (laughs) Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman who makes most people say, how is she not a teacher from Florida who fucks her students? I don't know, but holy shit, is this lady crazy. She does not listen to lobbyists and special interests. No, she listens to microwaves and talking dogs. She she is an all-in QAnon believer who thinks science and reason are a conspiracy to trick people into thinking. (laughs) Reagan saw a shining city on a hill. This chick sees spiders on her arms. (laughs) Move over, AOC. Say hello to WTF. All right, that's... Hello, douchebags! I want to thank my guest, <laughs> Camille Foster, Frank Bagluzzi. We'll see you next week, folks. Thank you. I'll be at the... I'll be nowhere. I'll be home. Catch all new episodes of Real Time with Bill Maher every Friday night at 10. Or watch him anytime on HBO On Demand. For more information, log on to HBO.com.